do our leaders know what they're doing or are they going to lead us into a new dark age? Listen, I actually think there's a good chance they're going to lead us into a new dark age. I'm going to give you the reasoning why. Listen, this is my life's work is talking about how systems come together. So I want to talk to you about this today. Really important topic. If you get this, I think you have a good chance of understanding what's going on out in the world. So here's today's title, episode 80. We're talking about, listen, are we going to build back better or enter a new dark age? Kind of binary set of outcomes. I think that's actually how this is going to go. Get it wrong. We actually face what I would consider to be permanent destruction, meaning we won't really ever build back to this level of prosperity that we currently enjoy. There are people out there in charge who don't get it and they're dangerous ideologues. I call it, we might, you know, be killed by AI. Only AI in this story stands for arrogance and ignorance. I want to spell out my case today. See what you think about it. Let me know, comment down below and we'll talk about it. All right. So starting here, first up, the mission of peak prosperity, my personal mission, the mission of my company is to create a world worth inheriting. There's a lot packed under that, including the obvious asterisk subcoda that maybe we're not leaving behind a world that's worth inheriting. In fact, maybe we're leaving behind a depleted future, a depleted world. In fact, you'd have to have your eyes closed not to understand that what we're doing to the earth today is not making it better, that we're actually in, in a bad state right now. Okay. I look at this in three separate ways, so let's talk about it. First up, we're just completely unsustainable in all sorts of dimensions. So this is just one economic dimension. It's around debt. There's a whole story I have to tell about debt, because debt, if you, if you understand it the right way, it's actually a claim on future money. So when you see this kind of a chart, this is total credit market debt in the United States, that doesn't include unfunded liabilities. That's not Social Security. It's not Medicare, Medicaid, underfunded pensions, any of that. Just debt, state debt, local debt, household debt, corporate debt, all of the forms of debt. These, this is total credit market debt. This is a perfectly exponential chart, except for that one little wiggle down there. See that in 2008? That's what almost destroyed the whole financial system was debt not growing exponentially for a few quarters. Oh, no. At any rate, this is an unsustainable trajectory for debt. No question about it. But how about this? We got peak oil to worry about as well. This is looking here. Uh, Rune Livkern did a great job setting up down here all the different fields that are producing within the set of fields that Norway is producing from. All the solid blocks to the left of that, that's history. To the right is best guess where we're going to go going forward. But notice something. Each one of those fields hit a peak and then declined. And the total set of fields together, same thing. So this, what's true for Norway is true for any other country, which means it's true for the whole world. This is a really big deal. And this is what's going down on our watch. It's going to require, if we just had this in our frame of reference, just peak oil, leaving debt aside, let's pretend debt wasn't a problem. Just this would be requiring all of our attention to figure out how to mitigate. But it's just one of many things that we're really ignoring and not really focusing on. So this is completely unsustainable as well. How about minerals? Minerals? Yeah, minerals extraction. Certainly you've heard, you know, we're all going to drive electric cars and we're going to use lithium batteries. And sometimes you hear people vaguely, you know, ask the question, do we have enough lithium? But let's go beyond that. Let's imagine that we had thought peak oil, this thing is a really big deal and we have to get away from fossil fuels. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to start using alternative energy, clean energy. 
That's a great story. In fact, you can read that story every single day in dozens of different journals and you can see it on TV. It's a very common story. We're gonna move to clean energy. The problem is when you actually understand what it takes to set one of these systems up. What do, what do we mean clean energy? Well, we mean these things called solar panels, nice aluminum frame. They've got all this polysilicon in there. Maybe they've got some silver as a, as a, a soldering agent, or we're talking about a giant wind tower and it's got these giant neodymium magnets in this rotor system up there and a lot of copper windings and it's got a concrete base, all of that. So you need minerals to create new energy systems. So let's go there, let's take a look. What would be required to move into a new clean energy future. Fortunately, there are people out there researching it, just a few, but this is one of the better ones out there, Professor Simone Michaud. Uh, let's listen in to what he has to say. Well, let me put in my earpiece so I can hear too. Um, listen in to what he has to say about what it would take to move to the first generation alternative slash clean energy to get away from fossil fuels. Here's what he says. The minerals is summed together. So everything we need is summed together per metal, and that gives us this column here. Total metal required to produce one generation of technology units to phase out fossil fuels. And so that, the, that we've got these numbers here. The next column is global metal production as it was from mining in 2019. So this is all from the USGS and uh, the BGR. The final column is how many years of production at the 2019 rate um, would be needed to hit the actual volumes needed. Oh, hold on, just three columns. This isn't that hard. This is the kind of math that's always missing from the conversation. So let's go over it a little bit more carefully because uh, Professor Michaud is making a really important point. I'm so glad he did this work. This is the kind of work you have to have to have what I would call an informed conversation, to have the appropriate level of context. This isn't even that hard, but we should be having this conversation because so much hinges on us being able to move to a clean energy future. So let's look at this again. One more time, let me get my drawing tool out here because you know how I like to do that from time to time. So here is, this is how much would be required in this column right here. So that's 4,575,000,000 and change tons of copper. That would be for all the copper motors, all the copper windings, what he's done in this study. He's, he's asked the question, how many solar panels, how many wind towers, how many electric cars? There's a whole mix of things we would need to move away from fossil fuels. That's the goal, right? That's what we've been told we have to do. And that's what the WEF seems to be serious about. That's what the ESG standards are about. Pretty serious moving us away from that stuff. That's what many governments in the West are actively trying to maneuver us away from. Fine, but we have to understand what's required. So this is his best guess right here. This analysis could be off by a little bit, probably off by some one way or the other, but it's a good starting point for the conversation because it shows how ridiculous the so-called clean energy future actually is. Because then we go into, well, what's obvious? Well, how much, my, how much what was the total amount of mining in the world in 2019? And then you just divide column A by column B and you get a number which says, oh, it would take us 189.1 years at 2019 rates to mine enough copper in order to be able to get all the copper out of the ground we would need to have version one of this new clean energy future. 189 years, we don't have 189 years. You know what's gonna happen way before 189 years? Peak oil. Why is that important? Because we use oil to mine 
copper. We use oil to grow food. We use oil to conduct wars. We use oil to move ourselves about and take vacations. One of these things is going to have to be put on the chopping block. And what's it going to be? Are we going to mine all this copper or are we going to grow food? I mean, that's the decisions we're going to have to be making soon. And if we want, we, particularly people in my generation, if we want to create a world worth inheriting, these are the kinds of important context rich conversations we have to have in order to even passably be a credible adult in this conversation. Well, how about nickel? Whoops, we need 400 years at current rates to mine enough nickel, right? Whoa, what about lithium? Would you believe 9,920 years? <laughs> it's just like, come on, we're, we're into absurd territory here. Um, germanium down there, we'll only need 29,000 years at current rates to mine everything we need. Vanadium, 7,000 years. On and on and on. It's just, this is simply says that this is a completely incredible, as in, I can't believe this, it's, in, it's not credulous. This is an incredible idea that we're going to move to this alternative slash clean energy future. So we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about this in terms other than vague hand-waving stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll pass a clean energy bill. We'll, we'll pass an Inflation Reduction Act and we'll throw a few billion dollars towards this thing. And, and next thing you know, there'll be a few solar panels on the roof. This fundamentally fails physics 101. And that's a big problem. But it gets even bigger when we start to connect some of these dots. Okay, so that's, that's the mineral story. Um, we could also talk about the story of how we're, say, overfishing, right? Um, and there's a whole story in there. You've just heard about the bearing. See, the, the crabs, no more king crab this year, no more snow crab because they had to shut the fisheries down completely. And they blamed climate change. But in fact, if you look at it, it was exceptionally poor fisheries management. And what people had done when the ice retreated a couple years back in the Bering Sea is they, they, the fishermen, went up with trawlers and totally destroyed the nursery beds where all of these crab, larvae and small crab, uh, would have been developing. It's a really dumb thing. So here we are in a system where even with something as simple as not scraping clean the nursery beds <clears throat> for important fish and crab stocks, right? That's something that seems to elude human capability to manage appropriately. Why? Because, well, there's people involved and it's hard and it'll cost money and this would be a bad year to, to reduce fishing and I'll be unpopular and I'll be yelled at at the next meeting I go to. So things happen. The point here is that if we can't even manage relatively simple portions or corners of this complex overall story, how are we going to manage the larger, more complicated story? So we have to talk about that. This is what I do talk about in the Crash Course. It's a book that first came out in 2011. It's a video series. This has just been completely rewritten. That's what I spent a good chunk of my summer doing. This is coming out in February of 2023. Wiley is the publisher of this, and it goes through a lot of these uh, different topics. So more on that when it's closer to coming out. All right, now I want to talk about complex systems. Why? It's really important. Look, I'm a generalist. I'm a systems guy. I like to see things from 30,000 feet before I zero in on the details. Now, that's been my superpower these past few years, and I want to share this way of thinking with you. It, look, it rests on understanding what systems are and a few properties about how they behave. Now, dictionary tells us that a system is a set of things working together as parts of a mechanism or interconnecting network. So your cell phone, hey, it's part of a system that routes and stores information. Your body is a system housed within the solar system. Humans and groups, especially nation-sized groups, operate as a system. 
what we call the economy and the environment are also each systems. But they're a special kind of system called a complex system. There are huge insights that come from understanding complex systems. So we're going to spend a far too brief moment here going over complex systems. Usually there's plenty to learn and nothing wrong with listening to experts, but sometimes they just can't see the forest for the trees. You want to know about a particular tree? Hey, ask a tree expert. But if you suspect there's a forest fire on the way, you need to understand the whole forest and quickly. So complex systems, what are we talking about here? There are simple systems and complex systems. As I just mentioned, our economy is a complex system. How we produce energy is part of a complex system. Our bodies are complex systems. The environment's a complex system. Our financial system, complex and complicated, separate terms. So, what are we talking about when we say a complex system? Well, this is interesting. So, it turns out sand piles are complex systems. A sand pile? Yeah, so imagine you're just sort of dropping sand in a, in, out of your hand and this pile is starting to grow, right? And... What we would be interested in trying to predict is when will that sand pile slump, you know? So, so you keep dropping sand out. It can get really huge, but eventually it's going to slump. Now, will it slump catastrophically? Will the whole thing flatten out? Will it just trickle down a side, create a little avalanche? You know, you'd think this should be pretty predictable, but the answer is it's not predictable. This eludes even our most powerful supercomputers to predict not only when is it going to slump, which next grain and when it's actually going to slump, but how big that slump is going to be. So that's the bad news. The good news is that we can understand some of the dynamics of the system. And so here's part of this dy dynamic. They, they figured this out in a lab. They, they ran these computer simulations over and over and over again. And they realized that even though you couldn't predict exactly what or when, as a face of the sand pile started to steepen up, that would create a greater chance that that surface area was going to be one that slumped. So they called those fingers of instability in this great work by Pock et al. And so those fingers of instability, if you see them growing in a complex system, you know that something's going to happen sooner than later. And the more of those fingers of instability you have, the larger the event is going to be. So uh, earthquake, fault lines, complex systems. We can't yet predict exactly when an earthquake is going to happen or how big it's going to be. Again, the timing and the magnitude completely eludes us at this point in time. And that is a feature of complex systems. Now, this is important to understand because you live in a complex system and we've got a bunch of people out there acting as if they can predict these things or control them, and they can't. And understanding that gives you a really powerful insight into how the future is going to unfold and the kinds of ways you should probably be thinking about preparing for this future. Because if they get it wrong, trust me, things could go bad really quickly. So if we can't even predict a sand pile, if we can't predict things that are in studied intensively, like an earthquake fault zone going under a rich area of real estate, then trust me, we don't have any clue how to predict other things that are less well studied that actually are even more complicated than a pile of sand. What could be more complicated than a complex system? Multiple complex systems coming together right? Uh, so that could be um, the role of society in apportioning monies to create more corn area planted, but that's interacting with the energy system, which itself is interacting with the atmosphere, which itself is interacting with the climate, which itself is interact. 
you get all these things. They're nesting and nesting and nesting. So, all right, complex systems, two features then. First, unpredictable. So you just have to watch them. They have emergent behaviors. They don't have predictable behaviors. So we just have to watch. Second, they owe all their order and their complexity to energy flows, and it's really important. Now, it's so important that I'm gonna go into a second part of this. I just wanna take a quick moment to remind you that I put a lot of content out at my website that's not out here in the public space for my subscribers. We've got different levels of subscription out there. Part of the reason I do that, hey, is to support me and my team. Another reason is I still get heavily, heavily censored out here in the public space. And so if you wanna find my full uncensored views, you gotta come by to Peak Prosperity. And of course, one of our more popular levels of subscription is Insiders. Three to five times a week, we're putting out something just special, just for insiders. Here's some examples of things that I put out this week, 20 to 30 minute extra bonus videos for you on the Nord Stream pipeline, looking at things like election fraud. Again, all data, all facts, lots of context because you like that kind of context. All right, in part two of this today, we're gonna to be exposing the big lie or big lies that have come out. And again, this is around certain things that I can't talk about openly here. So that's behind the paywall. Come on by if you're interested in finding out about these big lies. Now, back to the story, complex systems. The earth is a complex system. Remember I said a couple of features, but the second one is they owe their order and their complexity to the flow of energy. The earth is, where does it get all of its energy from? From the sun, right? So if the sun is there beaming its energy down, the earth is a really rich, really fun, really complex, really dynamic place to hang out and be alive. It's awesome. If the sun blinked out, the earth would very rapidly become a lot simpler on its surface and a lot less interesting, right? It'd be a frozen ball of ice and that'd be the end of that and not much would happen. So the earth owes its complexity to that flow, continuous flow of energy. Hopefully that's intuitively makes a lot of sense. Similarly, if we look at say uh, your body, your human body is also a very complex set system or set of systems. There, there are the various systems sort of like arrayed and it operates as a complex system, meaning that if you starved your body for food, which is the primary energy that fuels it, right? Keeps all that order and complexity running, humming along in a wonderful dynamic equilibrium. If you starve it for food long enough, your body too becomes a lot simpler and less interesting because you die, right? Similarly, we look at, this is supposed to represent down here, uh, a collection of people. As you know, a family system is a complex system, right? Ever changing and, how families get along and what happens is everybody's aging and having different experiences. But when you look at this across an entire culture, an entire society and all of its myriad interactions, it's a very complex system. Again, you can't predict what's, where it's gonna go or how it's gonna turn out. You can nudge it and hope it goes in the right direction, but ultimately um, those are not as successful as you might hope because ultimately you can't control exactly where anything's gonna go. But we do know that societal complexity owes its order and that complexity to the flow of energy through it. Take an energy-rich country, starve it for energy, and it becomes simpler. It simplifies. Now, that's a euphemism for whole branches of the tree of complexity falling off to the ground, right? And that could be a very unpleasant process. Do it enough, and the whole system collapses. So this is what people are really worried about when they use the word collapse. They talk about collapse, what's gonna happen? Could the economy collapse? Could society collapse? 
really what they're talking about is the level of overall complexity. It's really dynamic and robust and a lot of fun. What happens if that simplifies? And there's a point of simplification past which you can't recover. That's what happens when the Romans left Europe back right before the Dark Ages started, and then the Dark Ages started, because the, the people who were bringing the order and complexity, who were harvesting all this energy from all over the world and funneling it into Europe, doing incredible things, building aqueducts and homes with heated floors, they lost that technology in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years. It just came and left, and it was gone. And that's why I do what I do, because I'm fundamentally a preservationist. I would hate to lose this level of prosperity, because we just couldn't, you know, think our way clear to do smart things instead of dumb things. Now remember, it doesn't have to be this way. But first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to band together and get the people together who can think about this stuff and actually nudge out the people who can't understand this stuff. So I'm talking about Habeck in Germany. I'm talking about Trudeau in Canada. I'm talking about the Biden administration currently and whoever comes next probably here in the U.S. I'm talking about Arden in New Zealand, I'm talking about, listen, everybody in the Western world seems to have lost their marbles over where prosperity comes from and why preserving the flow of energy is critical and has to be handled really, really carefully because they don't understand these complex systems. But you and I were getting there. Um, the economy, it's a complex system. It's highly dynamic. And one does not simply starve a dynamic, huge complex economy for energy without consequence. But this is what Europe is just engaging in right now. But this is what the whole world will be engaging in unless we take a different course very soon. And that's why I do what I do, because there's still time in this story, but there's not a lot. Every year, there's less and less and less runway left in this particular story. So by the way, this is what the WEF, the World Economic Forum, they have a plan. They want to do this great reset. They want to just refashion all of these things. A lot of stuff on there. Even the way they've drawn it with all their little lines, you get a sense of the complexity, but I mean, look at all the things they think they're just gonna, we'll just reshape this stuff, right? These things developed slowly and carefully as a consequence of the interaction between complex economies, complex societies, complex industrial processes, complex everything, and they all knit together into this beautiful complex sort of a thing. And now they're just like, you know, what if we just tore this down and rebuilt it, right? Because that's what's happening. We're in a teardown stage on this right now. One does not simply tear down an economy like that or a, a set of nested complex economies like this without enormous consequence and without actually risking the whole thing simply falling apart because you didn't understand how complex it was. You didn't understand that complex things cannot be managed at all. That in fact, they have inputs, they have outputs, and you can only watch for those emergent outputs. It takes a you have to have a level of humility to this whole thing, and we don't have that. We got a lot of arrogance, we got a lot of ignorance. Like I said, AI, it may well kill us yet. Um, so the height of arrogance and ignorance is thinking that, that any of this whole complex world is really controllable. But I feel that's what the AI, you know, WEF people are trying to do, right? They're control freaks. They wanna control what you read, what you think, what you know, where you shop, how much you spend, when you sleep, they'd like to control it all. They would, actually, they're pretty upfront about it. They wanna put a chip in your brain, no kidding, and maybe control your entire experience of life. They're control freaks, so they're trying to control the uncontrollable, and if we let them continue to try and do that, guaranteed, they're gonna crash this thing onto the rocks because you can't control the uncontrollable. You just can't. 
you have to appreciate and understand what the inputs are and make sure that those stay as constant as you possibly can. But that's not what's happening right now. All right. I did talk about this in this AI is going to kill us episode. There it is over there. You know, you can click that, watch that. I think it's good framing, helpful to understand why I'm a little bit bearish on this crop of leaders doing anything other than creating hard times. Now, here in their own words from June of 2020, uh, July of 2020, sorry, this is like, you know, right in the throes of COVID still. And so the WF Forum, World Economic Forum, um, the Davos crowd decided this would be a good time to let everybody know what we think about how to reinvent capitalism, right? Bunch of parts in there, but check out this narrative in here that's just flat out as wrong as you can get. Da, 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 they write. And then here we get to this part, quote, the case for green stimulus measures is clear. They are likely to deliver more jobs and higher equitable growth in the short term while reducing long-term risks linked to climate change and biodiversity loss. Now, full stop, full disclosure, I'm actually not averse to, to what they're saying here. I actually also agree. We have to come up with a new approach to the world and we're definitely over overdoing it. We're way over the tips of our ecological skis right now. We're really in danger of overshoot and collapse. So I'm with them up to a point. Now, their why and my why might be the same, but their how and my how are completely different. Right? Their how is let's gaslight everybody and try and shove some stuff through in a way that preserves our power and privilege and kind of squishes everybody else. My, my um, you know, go, how to go about this is to give you all the context and trust that when people have the right information, they make the right decisions. But look at this, they say, the case for green stimulus measures is clear. So one of the things they're not aware of here is that the green energy is nowhere near ready for prime time, but they haven't even done the basic math we had just done on dudes and dudettes. Is there even enough minerals for you to have your more jobs and higher equitable growth? That would be part one. Part two is, can these systems, are they ready for prime time? Are your alternative green energy systems ready to provide base load power? Are they ready for the prime time? Are they ready to be the main act with fossil fuels falling into a supporting role? And the answer is no. Germany, Europe is proving this to us right now in real time as if anybody needed any more um, proof around that. But these people should have known this back in 2020. This is not hard to think your way through unless you're shot through with the wrong narrative, you've come up through the right schools and you think the right things and you only hang with the right crowds and everybody says the same stuff, but it happens to be wrong. And so that's what's, you know, the power of wrong narratives to lead you down a really dark and bad path is, is actually contained right in that sentence right there. Down in yellow, second part, quote, the challenge of decarbonizing entire economies can be the source of demand needed to kickstart economic recovery and create good jobs. Okay, so uh, cart before the horse here. Pro tip, if you decarbonize your economy before you have your actual alternative energy systems in place and functioning and battle tested, all you do is destroy your economy. And then you can't build anything. It's really not that hard to reason through. Here, let me take you through it. So, so the big problem, first off, where's the energy gonna come from? Here we're looking at uh, total energy across the world from 1800 through about 2020 or so. And it's all the major types, right? You got traditional biomass all the way in the bottom, then coal, oil, natural gas, then nuclear, hydro, wind, solar, modern biofuels, other renewables. Those are kind of hard to see up top. Let's separate them out real quick. There, 
There's other renewables for you. So you can resolve that little tiny smear right there. Uh, how about this? Uh, modern biofuels. So I guess we're talking about, I don't know, palm-based, you know, oils that, that get turned into diesel, biodiesel, corn-based ethanol, stuff like that. Uh, here's wind. Underwhelming. Here's solar. So did you get that? I mean, just look at starting here. This is the total amount of energy that, that the world uses right now. And this is other renewables, modern biofuels, wind, and solar. <sighs> they are they're just tiny, tiny slivers of this overall thing. So to suggest that we're ready to just like elevate those smears to become the prime time is just, it's not even, it doesn't even pass any sniff test. And it's certainly not prudent and it's, it just doesn't make any sense. But people believe it. People in serious positions of power believe it. And they are ready to knock the legs out of the fossil fuel stool right now in order to help these things become more elevated. I mean, isn't that what they just said here? They said the challenge of decarbonizing entire economies can be the source of demand needed to kickstart economic recovery and create good jobs. Um, <clears throat> no, it'll wreck the economies. And you know what? Here's how, here's how we need to look at this. This is looking at over time. So this starts in 1965, comes through 2021. On the up axis, the Y axis over there, we have total primary energy consumed by the world. And across the bottom is the global GDP in trillions. So that's the total amount of GDP in the world. And you will notice that for a while there, you see in 1965 in that box, you see how it's sort of sloping up. What that's suggesting is that the world was using more and more and more energy but it wasn't getting that much extra GDP out of the whole deal. But then it starts to nose over, and this means we're starting to get more GDP out of it. But starting from about 1975 or so to 2021, it is a dead flat relationship. It goes like this. If you wanted to have more GDP across the x-axis, you needed some more primary energy use across the y-axis. This is the most robust chart I have in all of economics. More economy requires more energy. That's just how the relationship works. And it's a dead flat line. There is no decoupling of economies from, economic, from uh, energy. So this is, this is it. This is the reality of the world we live in. Our economy is 100% dependent on energy flows. Our economy is a complex thing. It's a complex system. So of course it owes a lot of its order and its complexity to the flows of energy through it. So there are people out there, possibly well-meaning, Maybe not. Maybe they're malignant and malicious. I don't know. Either way, they're trying to do the same thing, which is to knock the legs out of the energy stool in the hopes that that will spur new demand to create you know, more of an impetus for this so-called clean energy. But if we do that, if we go down that path, if the world doesn't have an actual plan for replacing that bodacious amount of energy that comes to us, primary energy from fossil fuels, all we do is we destroy the economy. And once your economy is destroyed, just like when the Romans exfilled from Europe, what happens is you find your whole economic system collapses for a very long time. We call that dark ages. So prediction time. If these people manage to get their, their dream and they somehow destroy the energy system so they have an opportunity to build back better, there will be nothing to build back better with. They will actually instead create a new dark age. I don't want that. That won't be a world worth inheriting. That would not be very preservationist of us. It would be a stupid thing to do. And we'll all be looking back on it going, didn't have to be that way. 
This is not very hard logic, but you can't have the wrong narrative. You can't have the wrong dogma in your mind because when they say we're going to go green, we're just going to go green, right? Those little smears on that, you know, total energy use are going to become the fatty part. They only do that if this happens. So somebody has to begin to answering the question like, well, if we have to do that within the next 10 or 20 years, how are we going to accelerate mining so that we can do that? And if so, do the mining reserves even exist fast enough? Can we get the permits through? Is there even enough oil left? Because oil is very intensively used in mining to, in, to even get all those things out of the ground. Basic questions, people, and we don't have the answers to those. So this is why what's happening in Europe right now, what's happening across most of the uh, westernized economies is a very serious piece of work that's happening right now. Because we're about to find out what happens when you starve a, um, an economy for energy. So yeah, these are just some headlines. You can find them yourself. They're all over the place. They sound like this. So here's a good one from February of 2022. Building decarbonization is essential. Here's how it works. Skipped over step one. Step two was electrification. Step two for decarbonization strategy is electrification. Then we go to step three, which is once everything's <laughs> is electrified, uh, then we can choose where the energy for our building comes from. It, it, whenever possible, we want energy, electricity comes from renewable energy and doesn't create greenhouse gas emissions. This is catechism repetition going on right here. This is religion because here are people writing these big detailed articles about how all we have to do to decarbonize is electrify and use renewable energy, but none of them will actually engage with this chart. Hey, that's a great strategy you got there. That's awesome. Using lithium batteries. You think you're using any copper? Wander with me over to this chart real quick and explain how that happens. Because otherwise, this over here, eh, we just, you just electrify and then you just use alternative energy. It's hand-waving. It doesn't even pass the beginnings of a smell test. All right. The World Bank has three steps to decarbonizing. Um, in uh, July of 21, they said, here's how Biden plans to decarbonize transportation, electrification, electrification, electrification. That was the whole strategy down there. That's the strategy. All of you, please wander with me over to this table right here and show me where are the mineral resources going to come from to do this. Now, quick geopolitical geostrategy moment here. Everything China has been doing for these past few decades has been about securing inroads to places where the last best concentrations of all these things exist. Afghanistan, last best valley in the world known for copper deposits. Mm, beautiful, tasty thing. 10% ore grade. Doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. China now ostensibly has got a higher claim to that than the United States, who just exfilled from Afghanistan in a very ignominious sort of a fashion. All of these different resources right here, China is securing access to them in Africa, in the Middle East, United States. I don't know what our strategy is. I haven't been able to detect it. So it, our strategy involves writing these sorts of articles. We excel at this, though. We're really good at these articles. We crush it. So Europe, continent, 400 million people, complex interconnected economies, complex different cultures. They're all over the place, you know. And what we're about to do is we're about to see what happens in here in the winter of 2022 into coming into 2023 where they get starved for their, one of their most primary sources of energy. Um, so this is going to be a pretty interesting moment. And it's going to ultimately, we get to find out what happens when you take a complex system or a set of complex systems like Europe and who owe all those complex systems owing their order and their complexity to energy flows and we starve it for energy flows. I mean, this is just what we're going to see here. No matter what, 
The EU is going to use a lot less natural gas this winter. It's one of their most primary, important primary sources of energy. In that first green circle, they had an incremental loss, 14 billion cubic meters. That's already off the table. All the way in that second green circle, the remaining gap, 26 billion cubic meters. Where's that going to come from? And all of this still relies on continued flows through Ukraine, which seems a bit dodgy and iffy to me. So add it all up, somewhere between 13 and 17% of their natural gas isn't going to happen this year. And so what happens when you take this and you starve it for 17% of its primary gas energy? I don't know. It'll simplify. Can't tell you where or how, but probably it'll be a little bit predictable. The highest, most expensive use industries will get shut down like we're seeing already in Germany. Aluminum, silica or or glass manufacturing, things like that. These are big giant industries, fertilizer manufacture. These things are all getting hit. Well, when the fertilizer industry doesn't produce ammonia, ammonia based fertilizers, and then they don't put those on the fields, then what happens? This rapidly leads to famine. It leads to, that leads to social chaos. So one perturbation in one complex system will lead to perturbations in all these other complex systems. So that's the world we live in. And of course, we need people who can intelligently manage that. So if you see that you have a shortage of natural gas, the first thing you would want to do is you'd want to make sure you had the appropriate price signals in your markets so that the market in all of its complex wisdom could begin to figure out how to whittle down that energy use by paring away the fat, hopefully not too much muscle or bone in that story. So in their infinite wisdom, uh, European gas prices are now dropping amid, they did get some stockpiles built up, but those are only about two months of use and market intervention. So they've been intervening in the markets to drive the price down. What happens when you drive the price down of a commodity? That's right, you drive demand up. Where they need demand destruction through the wisdom of the markets, we have the intervention of these interventionist policies creating demand construction at exactly the wrong moment. This is one of the reasons I'm just a little bearish about how our current crop of leaders are capable of being anything other than more destructivist than constructivist in this particular story. So that's what's going on there. It's not going so well already, though. I mean, this is just from October 14th. We had German workers en masse in Dresden against Olaf Scholz, Ursula von der Leyen of the EU, uh, NATO. They don't want any more sanctions on Russia. They want increases in gas, and uh, they don't like to get increases in gas and energy prices. They don't want to starve and freeze for Zelensky. Who knew, right? Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting how that all plays out. That's France over there on the far side on your left, and we also see in Rome... Same story. There are people out protesting pretty vigorously now to end the Ukraine war and an end to Italy's involvement in NATO. People don't want to freeze and starve and go to war. They'd rather be warm and comfortable. So obviously you see a lot of people beginning to rise up. The complex system of societies beginning to rebel against some of the inputs that are coming through due to war and sanctions and bad leadership and terrible decisions and WEF saying we have to crush you so we can build you back better. There's a lot of things going on all at once. But the way to think about this is that when you starve complex systems for energy, primary energy, they become simplified. And in that simplification process, often you will see them refashion themselves into a new equilibrium. So with social systems, I just showed you pictures, they're breaking because that social stability, that equilibrium of social calm is now breaking because it's being starved for energy.
And so that's what we're seeing going on. So what if? Let's play a game of what if. What if they, they screw it up and, and get it wrong? I mean, what happens? What happens if they fundamentally don't understand complex systems? Just think, you know what? We can just sort of crush this all down. And when it breaks, we'll be there with a central bank digital currency. We'll be there with a bunch of social control and social credit scoring systems. We can control this. We'll, we'll finally tune each individual unit's uh, experience in this thing. That's what we can do. What if they're wrong? What if you can't, fundamentally can't control how all this turns out? Because you didn't understand that putting sanctions on Russia would starve Europe for gas, would lead to a reduction in ammonium fertilizer production, which would lead to a loss of crop output and yields, which would lead to social instability, which would ultimately lead to all sorts of other things breaking down. What if? What if they, what if they don't actually know what they're doing? Um, well, what happens if a complex system breaks down? Can we even refashion it at this point? What if we can't? What if this all ends up in some sort of a global war and every economy that I study is no longer self-sufficient in anything? Nobody makes all of their own computer chips, all of their own food, all of their own energy, all of their own anything. It relies on a global, just-in-time, integrated, very complex manufacturing and distribution system to keep running. Well, what if it suddenly breaks down? Do we end up in hoarding, nationalized hoarding? Of course you do. That's one of the very predictable things we would see. What if, what if these global flows of materials stop for any reason? What happens then? What if uh, we try to switch over to energy systems that aren't ready for prime time? It's just our narrative said they were. So we're going to we're going to run the the economy on things that aren't yet ready to take in that roll up and fill in. What happens if uh, we slam into peak oil and we're just not prepared because we didn't want to have that conversation with ourselves? Too hard. Didn't want to talk about that. And what are stocks and bonds worth? What, are, what is our financial system going to do on a long time horizon if or when endless growth is revealed to be a very false narrative? Everybody here with a pension in the United States, those pensions are managed with 75-year horizons. Every one of those 75-year horizons assumes that everything will operate just as it has been for the past 75 years, for the next 75 years. They won't. They can't. So what happens when the world sort of wakes up to that, you know, larger idea? What are stocks and bonds worth without this perception of endless economic growth, which itself is a byproduct or is fueled by energy? That's the key question. It's really worth exploring. And so the final question is, listen, are you prepared for to answer any of these questions for you and your loved ones? That's what we do at Peak Prosperity. That's my whole work in the world. That's what our whole community is assembled around is saying, kind of Reagan-like, trust but verify, he said about Gorbachev once upon a time. So what we're going to do is we're going to hope for the best, but we're going to plan for a different outcome. And right now, all the signs I have clearly point to the idea that the people putatively in charge don't have a clue about any of this stuff. They lack the appropriate education. They lack the appropriate grounding. They lack the appropriate world experience. They lack whatever it is maybe even just cognitive ability. They just don't have the capability of actually understanding how complicated all this is. And maybe nobody does. That's fine. But then you would ha you hopefully have leaders who would believe in building up robust stockpiles and proceeding cautiously, not incautiously, that we wouldn't just be wrecking ball through our cultural traditions. We wouldn't be wrecking ball through our, our energy programs and systems. We wouldn't be putting a wrecking ball through our industrial processes that we would instead take a very measured, very careful, very sort of cautious approach because we had the humility to understand we didn't know what was going on. And you got to test and then observe because all we can do is try stuff 
and then see what emerges. And it would be a very cautious approach. It wouldn't be a build back better, tear it down, and then we have a chance to really rebuild this right. That has a 0% chance of success. And because those are the people who are still driving the narrative all across the, the sea here, right, both, both sides of the pond, you have to be ready and prepared for the idea that they might fail. And if they do, this could get really, really hinky for a while. So I want you to be prepared with basic stuff, right? Where's your food coming from? Where's your water coming from? Basic stuff. Is your money even safe in the bank? That was last week's episode. Do you have your money out of the system or some of your wealth stored out of the system? These are all things you need to think about and talk about, but the most important is going to be your emotional and your spiritual health and the connections you have with the people around you, your social capital. This is what's going to define your success and your thriving in the future if it turns out they have got this wrong. All right. That's what I wanted to share with you today. I know it was a big, giant sort of a download, but that's the kind of work I'm doing in the world. If you want to read more, see more, come by, check out stuff at Peak Prosperity and check out the crash course because these are some of the concepts that are embedded within that line of thinking. All right, be well, have a great week and let's talk about this and please come by Peak Prosperity if you want to have a deeper conversation. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.